Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.58 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 3rd of May. Yes, that's right. We switched over into May. Tick-tock. Man, TikTok, dude, time's running, never will stop. This is episode 411 of Bitcoin, and I got one of the best compliments of this podcast that I've ever gotten. Not to say, you know, compliments on on anything that you do are sort of like children. You kind of really can't pick them, but at one point or another, you do got to point out um, some, you know, peculiarities about particular comments because, you know, like a comment could be, you know, that you receive on, on any work that you do, any, you know, whether you write a paper or, you know, make a video on YouTube or anything like that, somebody compliments you on it. There, well, at least one, here's one thing, learn how to take a compliment. All right. Don't immediately turn around and say, Oh gee, you know, my show's not all that good or whatever. Who gives a shit? Take the compliment. All right. That's, that's a critical, that's a critical skill that I don't think people get when somebody is going to run out and take the time out of their day to say the things that this gentleman has said to me, your first response should be a profuse. Thank you. I appreciate that. Not a self deprecating wish the show could be better. Blah, blah, blah. Hey, you didn't get the compliment because they're thinking about the show the way that you think about your content production. Think about that. All right. Now let's Who is this guy? All right. This dude is, Salmon Slayer 10, a.k.a. Lumberjack Hoddle. Thank you, Lumberjack Hoddle, for the following. Good morning, David. I just wanted to thank you very much for your podcast, Bitcoin And. I run a logging company in the northern part of the Sierras in California and live far off the grid with little to no cell service or internet. I can, however, download your show from a, get this, fire weather station. He's getting the show out of a fire weather station. We'll, we'll, we'll pontificate upon that here in a sec. I love your grumpy, no bullshit take on the shit show going on right now. Your corn news helps me understand what's going on with the price action. I found you on a Swan YouTube show about a year ago. I haven't missed an episode since. So from this hodling lumberjack, thank you. And like I said, I, I not, I, you know, did not come back with, you know, some self-deprecating bullshit. I do say, however, that this is the best compliment on the show that I have received. Thank you. And then I go on to ask a question. A fire weather station? How does that work? He Lumberjack re- responds with this one. He says, I'm able to get a Wi-Fi hotspot and download your show off of a satellite internet link. Okay. So I look up fire weather station. And one or two things comes up. Generally speaking, though, the most thing that's coming up is basically an antenna array 
that receives that has the ability to receive all manner of radio radio channels uh, like you know frequencies and whatnot because when you're out in the middle of the sticks like these guys are and i've been to a couple of logging camps there's no town around you're driving on a logging road for 30 miles to get to a freaking convenience store much less a restaurant or a hotel or a house with wife and kids and shit like that being out in the middle of a logging camp literally means being out in the middle of nowhere. There's no cell service, although that will probably change with Starlink. But for now, and for the past God only knows how long, you were completely cut off from communication. So this dude's figured out how to get the fire weather station to give him a, a, a Wi-Fi hotspot, at least so I presume. I may be completely wrong about this because it's text communications can get misunderstood very easily so i'm just gonna go with it though so this dude off this this weird antenna looking array looks like the kind of like that droid from empire strikes back with antennas all over it and shit and different links sitting out there in the middle of nowhere is able to get a wi-fi hotspot off of it and get the show in a place that i would have never thought okay so you know i, and I don't want to belabor this but it's just interesting that of all the people, of all the professions, and all the places on the planet, a bunch of lumberjacks out in the middle of freaking nowhere, able to tap into a fire weather station data feed and, and use it to piggyback the data stream from this show to get it out in the middle of the Sierras in Northern California is still blowing my mind, right? It's Plus, I wouldn't last 10 minutes in that environment. You did, I mean, the, the amount of shit that these guys do is is amazing so he also sends me some pictures of them out in the sticks not the people but like big piles of of harvested timber now i do want to say this about lumberjacks before anybody loses their shit oh they're clear cutting the forest they're going to kill us all no that used to be the case when people were not managing for when they before they had good forestry management practices and it was, uh, you know, I can't remember the name of the guy that uh, Randolph Hearst. Was it William Randolph Hearst? He was the newspaper magnate, right? He was the guy that basically lit, uh, made sure that him and a couple of people made sure that marijuana was illegal because they didn't want anybody growing hemp. They demonized marijuana so that they could also make hemp illegal because it was competing with their ability to make paper. And since they, you know, especially, you know, Hearst, owned a whole shit ton of timber, timberlands and logging companies and pulp mills. He was actually vertically integrated in his newspapers. So not only did he own the newspapers, he forced those newspapers to buy his paper product to print his bullshit on that was basically essentially propaganda. So he was making money three or four different times on the same vertical stack. The only thing that was competing with his ass was hemp because it made really, really, really good paper. But he didn't own any hemp. He didn't have any farmland. He just owned a whole shit ton of forestry. And that's the asshole that would go down and clear cut forest. These guys walk through and they can thin out a forest, make a damn good haul of timber, and in so doing, actually help kind of the forest not be all jacked up. So everybody who lost their mind thinking that these guys are clear cutting the Sierra Nevadas in Northern California, Put your panties on and get your shit straight because that's not what's going on. Continuing, he's got some great pictures of some really big, big kid machinery. If you're a guy 
that has ever been like a small boy, these are the kinds of tractors and shit you would actually just stand around and watch for hours. Big, big front end loaders, big, big <clears throat> backhoes that have like all manner of attachments, like mo mo mobile cranes. And I'm looking at a picture now with this, one of the scariest things that I've ever seen is a massive circular saw connected to an armature of a tractor just sawing the living crap out of a log that's probably taller than, I, that's probably has a diameter that's taller than I am tall. It's just, it's sick. And the last thing I'm gonna say about it is that there's a whole lot of slash. Slash, what's slash? Well, you're not gonna make a two by four out of a branch from a pine tree. So all the branches on these trees get stripped off. They, basically, they get run through a delimmer. And right now, that's actually kind of a problem. Now, I'm not sure how they handle it over here in the Sierras, but I'll tell you how I'd handle it. It's possible to drop a chipper, and I know that they got one out there somewhere, and an entire biochar. You know where I'm going with this. An entire biochar unit and a generator and a bunch of miners and with Blockstream, and you, you can do it. You, you, can, you can transmit to Blockstream, but you need better gear than just your standard setup, but you can do it. So therefore, either that or through a relay of mesh network or whatever, uh, they would actually be able to do mining with all the slash and leave nothing but carbon behind, you know, maybe trench it into a hole, and you would probably never know that a logging operation ever occurred. Just saying. Anyway, we're going to move on from that. Again, uh, I do want to say this one thing. Uh, he says, I share your content with other loggers as well, so I apparently have a strong following in the Lumberjack community. Still freaking me out, man. It's still freaking me out. I'm going to read this thread from Isabella Kaminska at Iskaminska. Does anyone have any idea what Amazon's total carbon footprint is? Does it yet consume as much energy as a small country? Seems to me it's only fair to frame it this way if we frame Bitcoin energy consumption, correct? She's got a point. Amazon says it will be entirely reliant upon renewable, renewable energy by 2025. For Amazon, this makes its horrendous carbon footprint deemed okay. But when Bitcoiners say the same thing about Bitcoin, it's not okay as the power could be used for more important things like delivering Amazon packages. The logic is we got by without Bitcoin to this day, hence it is unnecessary energy usage. But hey, we also got by without having all of our shopping delivered to us and information streamed to us and used to get up off of our asses and go do such things. We also used to make far more sensible bundled slash scaled shopping plans rather than buying a single item and expending all that energy, packaging and delivery, to have it delivered to us one item at a time. Isabella, thank you for pointing out the absolute freaking hypocrisy of this entire Bitcoin uses too much energy situation. Everything uses too much energy. Why? Because fiat money makes it fucking possible. And when the fiat money literally doesn't mean anything to anybody, neither does making sure that your shopping excursions are going to be the absolute most efficient that they can be. You know, she reminded me, I had totally forgotten. She reminded me when my mom was going out to do this shit, when I went with her, when, you know, when I was in school and, you know, like on the weekends or, you know, if I wasn't in school and I had to go around with her, she had a plan, dude. 
She dropped off the cleaners. Then we went to the meat market. Then we went to the produce market. Then we went to the supermarket, which didn't have really good produce and meat at the time. Imagine that to go get milk and eggs and the rest of the, that shopping done. And then we'd stop a couple of more places. We'd be out for three and a half hours, but everything for the week was done all in one shot. It was amazing. We don't do that anymore. And Isabella is reminding us of that. I think more people should probably take a look at what at I-Z-A-K-A-M-I-N-S-K-A is actually trying to say to us. So with all that said, with the morning announcements and the morning idiocy out of the way, let's get into some some more stuff. Bitcoin mining difficulty sees the largest downward adjustment of the year. This is Coindesk, and it's being written by Colin Harper. Bitcoin's mining difficulty just fell 12.6%, the network's largest downward correction of the year following mass miner outages in China's coal-rich provinces. Mining difficulty is a self-correcting and internally referenced score, which dictates how hard it is for miners to mine or sorry, find the next block in Bitcoin's blockchain. Bitcoin's starting difficulty was one. Every increase from this indicates exponentially increasing difficulty. The difficulty adjustment ensures that blocks are added to the chain at a steady pace, roughly every 10 minutes on average. Bitcoin's mining difficulty is currently 20.6 trillion, according to data queried from this journalist node. Oh, Colin, run in your own node, dude. Mazel tov, bitch. This is down from the uh, 23.581 trillion difficulty Bitcoin set nearly two weeks ago, an all-time high. The sizable drop corrects for the loss of hash rate the Bitcoin network experienced following coal mining accidents and subsequent inspections in Xinjiang. As they lost their chief sources of energy, miners in this coal-heavy region went offline and Bitcoin's half rate hash rate fell by roughly a quarter. Quote, the 12.6% difficulty drop is the largest negative difficulty adjustment since 2012, excluding November of 2020, end of hydro season, March 2020, which was Black Thursday, and December of 2020, which was the end of the hydro season again meaning that it's a great time to be a miner. The drop is primarily caused by the inspections and associated power outages in Xinjiang. And although the majority of mining farms in the region have recommenced mining, the network hash rate has not quite reached all-time highs again, Compass Mining CEO Thomas Heller told Coindesk. Some of these miners are back online and Bitcoin's hash rate has recovered. But as the difficulty adjustment suggests, more miners need to come back online still before the network is at levels it sported just a few weeks ago. Quote, the event in Xinjiang highlights that a major portion of hash rate production still does occur in China. Seasonal and government changes have the potential to swing hash rate levels and have profound impacts upon network difficulty and mining economics, says Ethan Vera, the CFO of Northern American Mining Pool, Luxor. Uh, Quote, Bitcoin's difficulty adjustment algorithm is working, guess what? Exactly as planned, compensating for slower block times with the downward adjustment. While the 2016 block epoch is not perfect, it has been battle-tested against all sorts of events and always has done its job, end quote. Vera expects the substantial correction to put minor profit- profitability over 40 cents per terahash, meaning roughly 90% 
mining margins for miners on average. And Colin uh, is, you know, kind of up against a very difficult battle as we all are in trying to figure out what profitability in mining actually means. I mean, we know what it means, but between hash rate, what your machines are consuming, what the going price for Bitcoin is, <coughs> taking into consideration, you know, difficulty adjustments, it is, it looks to me like if, if somebody were like going to be a Bitcoin mining analyst, that that person must obviously be an idiot savant in a straitjacket, in a rubber room, just staring at some kind of terminal, spouting off numbers that people in on the other side of the glass are furiously writing down and trying to compile into some semblance of sense. Because between, that is a lot of stuff to take into consideration. That's almost as bad as macroeconomics and probably, honestly, even worse. Let's continue with Bitcoin Taproot because guess what? That started uh, the signaling process. That, well, the, the difficulty adjustment. The second that the difficulty adjustment happened, Bitcoin Taproot activation began Miners now have three months to get on board. This is Coindesk, also written by Colin Harbour. Bitcoin's taproot update has finally begun its speedy trial. Today's difficulty adjustment kicks off the first phase of activation for the upgrade. Bitcoin's biggest in years, which, among many things, will make Bitcoin multi-signature transactions cheaper, more private, and easier to deploy. Starting today, which was yesterday, by the way, Actually, no, it was the 1st, May the 1st. Okay, so not yesterday, but May the 1st. Today is the 3rd. Starting today, miners who wish to adopt the upgrade can signal their support by including special data in the blocks they mine called a signal bit. If 90% of the blocks mined during this difficulty period include the taproot signal bit, then the upgrade is locked in for activation in November of this year. Unlike a centralized network that can be changed unilaterally, like Ethereum, a decentralized network like Bitcoin requires coordination from a global user base to make substantial changes to its code, and it also requires intensive coordination among stakeholders to deploy these changes, as evidenced by the months to year-long discussions, not on the uncontroversial upgrade, but on how to bring it online. So if everything goes as planned, Taproot will be live on Bitcoin's blockchain before the holiday season. If the network doesn't achieve the 90% threshold before the timeout, then the upgrade fails and we are back to the drawing board. This isn't likely though. Miners have already pledged their support for Taproot, so it's really a matter of when rather than if, said Poolin VP Alejandro De La Torre, who ran the original mining pool survey to gauge Taproot support among the mining community. Quote, I am confident it's going to happen, he told Coindesk, adding that up to now, there has not been one complaint from our miners at Poolin about our wish to upgrade to Taproot, end quote. <clears throat> Shared bits and Bitcoin core developer Ben Carman told Coindesk, Ben Carman being Ben the Carman on Twitter, if you're interested, uh, he told Coindesk that the network will, quote, pass the signaling threshold most likely in the second difficulty period, end quote. Quote, previous soft forks besides Segwit, Segwit all activated near the very beginning of their activation window, and that was all with needing 95% of miners, and now we only need 90%, end quote. Not as surefire, but still voicing similar sentiments, prolific Bitcoin developer Matt Corallo said he is cautiously optimistic 
Anyone wishing to track the percentage of Taproot signaled blocks per period can visit taproot.watch. That's taproot.watch. And for the foreseeable future, I will be adding that to the um, oh the center of the show, the vital statistics when we run the numbers. Uh, after Clark Moody's dashboard information, I will be uh, adding a taproot.watch and we'll look at activation on that on a day-over-day basis. A release candidate for Bitcoin Core 21.1, which contains the speedy trial activation logic, is now available on GitHub. Two weeks before this software release for Bitcoin Core, Bitcoin developer, uh, Bitcoin developer, Bitcoin mechanic released an alternative Taproot activation client in concert with others like renowned yet controversial Bitcoin developer Luke Dash Jr. This version is compatible with Bitcoin Core up to a point. If miners signal, then Taproot activates network-wide, no issue. But if miners don't, the alternative client includes a flag day for mandatory activation in October of 2022. This is where we get into a UASF-type scenario, people. And I hope we don't see it. I still got PTSD from the last time. I don't need another time. And if you haven't been around, if you weren't around for the last time, you can just trust me. You don't want to see that shit either. Continuing, this user-activated software scenario allows node operators to reject blocks from miners who don't signal for taproot to essentially force the upgrade. Bitcoin stakeholders couldn't come to a consensus <coughs> on whether or not to include a UASF in Bitcoin Core's activation, hence the months of debate. Critics argued that there's no, no such need for extensive deliberation, given that miners have shown no opposition to Taproot, unlike the way they did with SegWit, a 2016-2017 upgrade which required the threat of a user-activated software to bring it to fruition. Quote, people are shadow boxing Casper right now, lol, Lightning Lab CTO Roast Beef said at the time. Suggesting the calls for UASF comes from PST or PTSD from the SegWit saga. Yeah, he's correct. Proponents of the UASF say that it's necessary to reinforce the precedent that node operators ultimately decide upgrades and not miners. Miners may run nodes and provide a necessary utility for the network, but shouldn't have outsized sway, so the argument goes. Judging by the data, and sentiment that we have right now, though, it probably won't come to UASF, but we'll know for sure come August. So, yes, this is a pretty important time for us, which may explain why we end up in sideways price motion for the next couple of months, depending on whether or not there's going to be a battle. Think about that. Before... 2016-2017 UASF and the SegWit2x debacle, you know, th- during that time, there really wasn't anything going on with any other chains. Every, you know, that you had nothing but ICOs and then you had Ethereum. And at that time, Ethereum, ugh, you know, I just don't want to get into it, but it wasn't, I mean, all eyes were on Bitcoin. And when we finally got we finally got what we wanted and they decided to do SegWit and kill the uh, the doubling of the block size, the 2X part of the SegWit 2X. You know, we were all happy and then, you know, everything was great and blah, blah, blah. This time around, I don't want to say it's different, but it's kind of different. There's a lot of other shit going on and there's a lot of people that are aping into these other coins 
that have been around for quite a while, like Ethereum. If we end up in a battle that resembles the 2017 battle for SegWit, the price action is either going to go down or it's just going to go, or it will possibly go sideways. Most likely, price will probably go down. Why? Because that's just market sentiment. Has nothing to do with logic. It has nothing to do with utility. It's got nothing to do with anything that it should have anything to do with. It's just the way people think. And people don't think very well. All you have to do is flip on CNBC or Fox News or any of the other mouthpieces of the government and you'll understand why. You know, you'll understand why Ethereum is at over $3,000. Because nobody's looking into the background. Nobody's actually looking at, the, actually, even if they know, beyond a shadow of a doubt that, that Vitalik is manipulating the monetary policy every other fucking week, they don't care. You care. The rest of the apes out there don't give a shit. And that's why you see $3,000 Ethereum prices. If they did care, they would bail out. But be that as it may, that's sort of why we're in a different kind of situation right now. So here, here's the thing. If we end up looking like miners are going to scoff and you know just not do their shit, I'm, I'm looking at either sideways to downward price action until we figure out what we're gonna do after August. If these people get all their collective shit together and this thing pushes through and we're gonna activate, like we, Speedy Trial basically gets all of its uh, ducks in a row or all the miners ducks in a row in a couple of weeks and it's real quick and we get 90% activation signaling, then in August and it will be locked in, I think we'll be fine. But if, the, you know, if, if not, if it's a continuous battle all the way to the finish line in August, I expect prices to either move sideways or go down. So if you guys want better prices, then I'd hit up I'd hit up all the mining pools on Twitter like every single day and just harass the living fuck out of them until they start signaling for taproot blocks and then immediately stop harassing them and until they signal for a block that or until they signal or rather not signal for a taproot block and then hit them up on Twitter again and make sure that they're Social media manager has to go to their bosses saying, you guys better put in taproot signaling. I'm getting shit like left and right over here and I'm tired of coming in being yelled at by 10,000 people. All right, so it's up to us, dude, which is also why people drive around and set up projectors and make the Bank of England look like a bunch of idiots. Turner Wright from Cointelegraph tells us this, Bank of England and UK Parliament get Bitcoin fixes this treatment. <clears throat> One crypto user is seemingly taking exception to current monetary, monetary policy from the Bank of England, or the BOE, and expressing their frustration with a laser projector. Lasers. Reported by Twitter user Dominic Frisbee, an unknown person projected. <coughs> Sorry, Bitcoin fixes this and other messages on the exterior walls of both the Bank of England and Parliament of the United Kingdom on Saturday. The message appeared underneath Big Bend as well as the front of the central bank, surrounded by a big red box with the artist's hallmark and the photo, photo has already been turned into a non-fungible token. Oh my God. <laughs> oh well. Many financial institutions around the world have struggled to adapt amid restrictions and economic uncertainty brought on by the scamdemic since March of 2020. The BOE has since purchased billions in government bonds and corporate debt, 
It's unclear why the anonymous Bitcoiner chose to project the message at this particular time. The BOE recently listed seven job postings related to a central bank digital currency or CBDC and will be establishing a task force to study its rollout in the UK market in collaboration with Parliament. However, it seems that at least one person is dissatisfied with the direction of monetary policy in the United Kingdom. All right, so here's here's my take on that. Good. <laughs> In fact, I want a mystery van. I want a like a mystery machine clone van that's got permanent projectors in all of the sides, the back, and and the front. So I would be able to just drive around and, you know, like one night, you know, or or during the night, and just project whatever it is that I want by parking across the street from it. I think that would be awesome, dude. And just it and it would always be Bitcoin fixes this. This is a great idea. You know what? I think it's time to run the numbers. Flammable liquids looking okay so far. Uh, West Texas Intermediate crude oil is up 0.27 of a percent. $63.75 gets you a barrel of that. Brent North Sea looking sideways, pretty much unchanged. $66.76 a barrel for that. Natural gas, however, is up one and a quarter percent, hitting damn near $3 for a thousand cubic feet of that. Shiny metal rocks seem kind of mixed. Gold is up 0. 0.6 of percent. 1778. Sorry. $1,700. So good God, I'm having problems. $1,778. Whatever. Buys you an ounce of that shit. Silver's up over 25. Well over 25. It's at $26.21. That is a 1.32% gain to the upside. Platinum is down almost a half a point. Copper is up half a point and palladium is down a quarter of a point. Uh, almost all of the agricultural futures are up substantially, by the way. Wheat is up almost a full point. Soybean is up two thirds of a point. Corn, get this shit. The corn is up 2.19%. And I know if you guys are, you know, here's the thing to why agricultural futures are, are important, especially something like corn, wheat, soybean, because it's in all the food that they make you eat. When these prices go up, those prices go up. So you better be listening here, pal. Coffee is up 0.3%. Rough rice is up 0.15%. Everything else is unchanged. Uh, indices look to be in the green. Dow futures up two-thirds of a point. S&P futures is up half a point. NASDAQ futures is up one-third of a point. And the S&P mini is up 0.83% at this time. All of the bond prices are pushing lower, which means yields are going higher, I guess. I think that's the way that it works. Don't listen to me. This is not investment advice anyway. But real money, $58,616.53 is the price I got for Bitcoin at present. We have had... <clears throat> excuse me, 20, two, uh, 241,000 transactions performed over the last 24 hours. And that's right at 10,000 transactions on average per hour with only 209,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. With That means that that's about 8,700 BTC being sent every hour on the hour. With the average transaction value of 0 0.86 BTC and the median transaction value of 0 0.014 BTC or about 850 bucks. Block times, as you might imagine, are way low. 
eight minutes and five seconds, which is helping clear the uh, backlog in, in the mempool, by the way. Well, oh my God. New all-time high in hash rate, guys, but we'll get to that. 0.5 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis. 91 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. Uh, hash rate has risen by, get this, 21% to bring us to, get this, 183.2 exahashes per second. Woo-hoo-hoo-wee. <laughs> they all, it looks like all the miners came back online at once. Holy shit, y'all. Um, let's see, is there anything else that we need to say about this? No, there's not. Except that your shitcoin indicator, which is as always Dogecoin, is at 35 cents. In fact, it's 35.8 cents, which makes no sense whatsoever because it's the very shittiest of all of the shitcoins. So that's why it's your shitcoin indicator. Clark Moody tells us more. There's only 26,000 transactions, yet they're still waiting on 85 blocks to clear. So I don't know what the hell that means anymore. But the market capitalization for Bitcoin is $1.1 trillion, and we have captured 9.5% of gold's entire market cap. So if you want to spend a Bitcoin on shiny metal rocks, you'll get 33.1 ounces of shiny metal rock for that Bitcoin, of which there are 18,698,048.09 BTC in circulation at this time. Clark Moody has a price of 58890 on each one of those. We have 1,244.85 Bitcoin in the Lightning Network. The total capacity value on that one is $73.3 million. And that's being run over, God, we're about to pass 11,000 nodes, y'all. Uh, it's being run on 10,904 nodes with 43,800, oh, no, sorry, let's try that again. 43,385 channels, which is a massive increase. Oh, I know why, because the difficulty adjustment went down. So the mempool cleared and fees basically went down a lot. And everybody that was waiting to open up lightning channels, oh, I mean, like popcorn, dude. They just started opening up lightning channels. While, open your lightning channels while ye may, bitches. Now, the percentage of tour capacity is back at 58.0%. We have 5,153 nodes on the Tor side of the Lightning Network that we can see. And what else is there? Oh, yeah, in the Tor side of the uh, Lightning Network, there are 721.72 BTC. Now, before we end this segment, we got to look at Taproot activation, like I promised you that I would. Uh, taproot.watch, that's taproot.watch, will get you to Taproot activation. It's a nice little graphical interface, or not interface, but it's a graphical re representation of what's going on. We are at a position now where we have 39 blocks of, let's see, we have 39 blocks out of what, uh, 256, okay, sorry, I'm screwing this up. In this activation period, okay, and the current signaling period is 2016 blocks, okay? Most of those have not been mined yet, okay? We have 1,721 upcoming blocks or blocks that are yet to be mined. Out of the blocks that have been mined, 39 of those blocks are signaling taproot. 256 are not signaling taproot. So there are more that are not signaling for taproot than are. However, the clients just dropped 
And we will have to wait to see whether or not the miners, because I mean, now think about it this way. This is a really, this is a really weird situation. We just had this entire thing in China go kablooey when it came to power. So all the miners kind of basically dropped out and shut off their machines because there was no power. That would have been the perfect time to install the client, but they didn't. Why? Because the client wasn't released as far as I can tell. Now, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I'm okay with being wrong. If I am wrong, tell me, but you know, be at least halfway nice about it. Here's the issue is that now all the powers come back on and that, that's been going on over the last couple of days. They don't want to shut their shit off again to install the new client software. And I'm pretty sure that you're going to have to shut off your miners to basically reinstall you know, a new software package for it. Think about doing that on you know, 10,000 machines. That's a hell of a job. We're asking the miners to lay off on making any kind of money whatsoever so that they can install this client so that they can signal Taproot. That, we may end up in kind of a fight because of this. Now, I don't, I hope we don't, and I hope I'm wrong. And um, my gut feeling says that they'll, they will get to it in their, in their sweet time. But for right now, the mining is good. Maybe they're going to wait throughout the summer to see like maybe when they start moving. I don't know. I, you know, but the wet season goes on all summer long. So I don't know, man, I'm just saying you got to shut your shit down to put this client on. Think about that in terms of how much, well, what's the opportunity loss on that? I want them to signal taproot. How much money do I want them to lose to do it? I think that that's something that we should at least be sensitive about when it comes to, hey man, why aren't you signaling this shit? Because I don't want to turn my fucking miners off and be poor, okay? You want to have fun staying poor, then you go right ahead. So I'm, I can see where the arguments are, are going to start occurring. And I think just a smidgen of sensitivity on there for the miners at this point would probably do us better than we might think. Anyway, that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. Hope your morning is going well. Uh, Spartan protocol exploits result or exploit results in loss of 30, $30 million. All right, so there's some people that are not having a good morning, I guess. Well, that's what you get for aping into Binance DeFi. Sam Borgi is going to tell us about it from Cointelegraph. God, it's a, a cautionary tale that will never be followed. Spartan Protocol, a liquidity platform for synthetic assets on the Binance smart chain, was drained of $30 million in a coordinated attack on its liquidity pool late Saturday. The exploit targeted a flawed liquidity share calculation in the Sparta slash WBNB liquidity pool, which enabled the attacker to withdraw the funds. Blockchain security company PeckShield explained... <coughs> <coughs> They continue with this, quote, in particular, the specific hack inflates the asset balance of the pool before burning the same amount of pool tokens to claim an unnecessarily large amount of underlying assets. The consequence of this attack results in more than $30 million of a loss from the affected pool, end quote. The nuts and bolts of the attack center around the manipulation of flash loans, as usual which were used to inflate the balance of the pool before burning an equivalent amount of the pool tokens. 
Spartan Protocol tweeted about the exploit late Saturday, explaining that the attacker used $61 million in BNB coin to overcome the pools via an as-yet-unknown economic exploit path to remove roughly $30 million worth of funds from the pool. Spartan Protocol's latest update on the matter came early on Sunday, where it linked uh, <clears throat> followers to a Peck Shield report, and they just basically give a, a, a tweet for the Peck Shield report. <coughs> The attack goes down as one of the single largest monetary exploits in DeFi history, according to Rekt. <laughs> Only five other DeFi exploits resulted in losses of more funds. The EasyFi for $59 million, the Uranium Finance hack for $57 million, the KuCoin hack for $45 million, and Alpha Finance for $37.5 million, and Meerkat Finance for $32 million. The value of Sparta, Spartan Protocol's native shitcoin, plunged 30% on Sunday to $1.17. It was down over 29% in Bitcoin comparative and 31.4% versus another shitcoin on the list. Theft and exploitation are nothing new for the cryptocurrency community. <laughs> In addition to the recent string of DeFi attacks, crypto criminals, oh God, stole an estimated $1.9 billion in 2020, according to Finaria, an Italian publication. Fraud was the leading crypto-based crime, followed by theft and ransomware. This year before, in 19, what, 19? In 2019, criminals made off with an estimated of $4.5 billion worth of cryptocurrency. And, and, and these guys are just going to continuously ape into this crap. It does not matter who got hacked and for what. There's always going to be some idiot on the other side of this thing saying, but I need, I want, you got yours, I want mine. And they're going to ape into something like fucking Spartan. Do, if, if you love your friends, people, do them a favor. Let them know what is actually going on here and that this all this stuff means absolutely nothing, much like Dogecoin. And as, as friendly as I can actually get with Dogecoin because it was supposed to be, you know, like it was out, it was a, a, an outlash at Bitcoin and it turned into just the cutest little damn thing. And, you know, you got the cute little Inu Shibu or whatever, Shiba Inu or dog or whatever. And, you know, they did a racing team. And I think they had a bobsled team that, you know, that was being sponsored. And there was some good things that came out of Doge, but it's a shit coin. And it's the representative shit coin. Nobody develops on it. Oh, I don't even know how the chain still exists, honestly, because it's like, who's running a Dogecoin node? If you know somebody who's running a Dogecoin node, please let me know who they are because I'm like, why? Anyway, Dogecoin rises 10% after Elon Musk confirms coin will get a Saturday night live treatment, i.e. a skit. Decrypt staff is writing this one, whoever the hell Decrypt staff is. Anyway, Elon Musk has confirmed that a comedy skit on Dogecoin will feature in next week's Saturday night live show. Musk asked his 54 million Twitter followers which skits he should commission. The request came thick and fast, and one kept coming up. And guess what? It's Dogecoin. So Musk replied to one that requested a summon about the what? Yeah, okay, quote unquote, summon about the Doge father. End quote. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO responded, definitely. I guess he meant something. Anyway, then Dogecoin's price rose by 10% to 40 cents, and that's all it took. A single word. Again. 
You know why? Because people are aping into this shit because they got to get theirs. And we already know that Musk was going to produce a skit on Dogecoin. On April the 28th, he tweeted the Dogefather SNL May the 8th. Dogecoin's price spiked 15% on that particular piece of news. The price of Dogecoin since dropped to 37 cents. It's priced before Musk reconfirmed that Dogecoin would feature in SNL. So why did the price rise? Well, whenever Musk mentions Doge, it's like he's screaming out of the world's largest megaphone. Musk has screamed himself hoarse by tweeting about this coin. It's like preaching to the choir, however. Most of his tweets no longer have the effect on Dogecoin's price that they used to. But... When Musk speaks about Dogecoin on SNL, he'll reach a whole new audience. Let's pause right there. That audience, when I say the word, uh, they're dumping their bags on retail, that's the retail I'm talking about. That's what I mean by the retail. The retail is the audience of CNBC, of NBC, of Fox News, of Saturday Night Live. That's retail. Generally speaking, and I don't mean anything bad about it, but they're the unwashed masses of the financial slash economic macro environment. They don't know any better. And I, I, wish they, I wish they didn't have to. I honestly do. People should be able to go about their business without having to worry about how to, how to be a fucking bond manager. Okay, you shouldn't have to do that. You should just, like, if you want to be a logger like, like, my, like my good friend... Go out and log and don't have to worry about your retirement. Just be able to save money. But no, we've destroyed all that shit. And they've turned us all into quote unquote retail. Anyway, he'll reach a whole new audience, i.e. retail. The widespread hope is that this will captivate a whole new crowd, i.e. retail, who will flock to Dogecoin following Musk's endorsement of the coin. If the skit is funny, timely, and bullish, the hope, well, the gamble for those who put money down in anticipation is that Dogecoin's price will rise triumphantly. Yeah, well, here's the question about Dogecoin's price and whether it rises triumphantly or drops like a stone. Either way, it doesn't really matter because the real question here is, is Dogecoin even liquid? Remember everybody was freaking out about Elon Musk cutting, you know, 10% of Bitcoin to find its liquidity quotient? You know, if, is it liquid? Can he sell it? Can he convert it to dollars without much, you know, problems? Well, he proved that. Yeah, he proved, yes, you can with Bitcoin. But can you do it with Dogecoin? That's the thing that retail doesn't, that's why retail is retail. Because they don't know. They're, they're just aping into this shit on Robinhood or wherever it is that you pick up your friendly neighborhood Dogecoin and not looking at the consequences of this shit. Because if I if you were to just buy a shitload of Doge and the price goes to like let's say, let's say something stupid two dollars, who's gonna buy it at two dollars? Well, or or rather this, it's not who's gonna buy it. Is there the ability for somebody to buy it at two dollars? Are will will you know exchanges freeze up? Is there is there any depth to the uh, the order book? on Dogecoin, on any of the exchanges? Is there anything available to buy? And is there any like ready cash for people to, you know, trade you cash for, you know, Doge? See, that's the thing. It's, I don't know. I wish I could tell you, but I have like literally idea, no idea. And I haven't seen a single freaking person say anything at all about order books on Doge on Kraken or Binance or whoever else you get Doge from. 
Nobody has said a single freaking word, and yet everybody's aping into Doge like it's going to be a no-brainer, and they're just going to be able to cut their bag to retail sometime down the line at a buck fifty, not even knowing if they can do it or not. And that's why this shit is so dangerous and why Elon Musk really needs to shut his mouth about this because he's going to get a lot of people in trouble. At least Bill Mayer has got it 99.999% correct when he trashes crypto as a Ponzi in a 10-minute rant, which is actually kind of long for Bill, uh, especially on something like this. But, well, whatever. So Bill Mayer is opening his mouth. But like I said, he ain't wrong on 99.999% of this space when he includes Bitcoin in this rant is where I've got a problem with Bill Mayer. Bill Mayer devoted a chunk of his chat show last night to brutally lay into crypto. On HBO's Real Time, Mayer told his viewers that crypto is a Ponzi scheme. And he said, nothing with crypto in the title ever turned out good. I'm still with you, Bill. <clears throat> Central to Mayer's rant were two observations, that cryptocurrencies generate value without offering goods and services in exchange, and that they're a massive drain on the environment. You're going to end up in Ethereum, aren't you, dickhead? Quote, this is how the world economy crashed in 2009. He, this is where he starts getting shit wrong, guys. Mayor said, it wasn't the lost value on actual houses that sunk us. It was this virtual market that required inventing virtual algorithms to bet on how much houses might be worth in a virtual scenario, In quote. Now that he gets right, but his comparison to Bitcoin at this point is incorrect. There's a utility here that he's not seeing. And it went uh, until he sees it, the, we, that, it's one of those things. When you see it, you can't unsee it. So we know Bill cannot see it yet because once he sees it, he'll get it. However, he's correct when it comes to 99.999% of the space. He continued, our problem here is at root not, not economic but psychological. People have been raised in a virtual world are starting to believe that they can actually live in it. No, Bill, that's not what's going on here, pal. Throughout the 10-minute diatribe, Mayer quoted No Coiner and Berkshire Hathaway CEO Warren Buffett echoing his sentiments to the latter. Earlier last year, the 90-year-old American investor told CNBC that he's staying well away from cryptocurrencies, saying they basically have no value and they don't produce anything. What you hope is that somebody else comes along and pays you more money for them later on. But then that person's got the problem. In terms of value, zero. Mayor joined in with Buffett's chorus. It's like having an imaginary friend who's also a banker. Oh, 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 God, that's bad. Defender of Earth. Bill, oh, here we go into his environmental part. Mayor called out Cryptocurrencies Network for their prolificate energy consumption, whose emissions could, according to an article Mayor cited from the journal Nature, alone pushed the planet past the tipping point of two degrees in less than three decades. The comedian and commenter then targeted corporate environmentalist Elon Musk, whose electric car company Tesla bought $1.5 billion of Bitcoin earlier this year. He asked his audience, quote, how can a company like Tesla be all in on saving the planet with electric cars and then participate in destroying it with this completely unnecessarily online play money? Let me pause for a sec. Where does he think Elon Musk is getting the energy to charge said vehicles because 80% of all the electricity that is being used to charge electric vehicles comes from either natural gas 
or coal-fired power plants. Now, much less coal fire uh, in the United States than there ever used to be. I think there's maybe a couple still, you know, generating, but it's really natural gas. So the fact that he doesn't understand that, well, okay. The fact that he said that statement means one of two things. He is either disingenuous to the core or he truly is ignorant as to where this shit comes from. I'm hoping the latter. I kind of like Bill, but he's just kind of losing me lately. Anyway, the validity of Mayer's argument depends on the mechanism used to mine cryptocurrency. His rant works well against Bitcoin, which is powered by the energy-intensive proof-of-work consensus mechanism to mine Bitcoin. Incredibly powerful supercomputers <laughs> run complicated software to solve intricate cryptographic puzzles. Mining computers are in competition with other mining computers, and that's a huge arms race to have the most powerful setup. Many argue that the social benefits from a decentralized monetary system are a fair trade-off for the environmental cost proponents of proof of work also say it isn't as bad as critics like mayor make out and that proof of work incentivizes renewable energy production yeah see i'm telling you man uh but mayor's argument falls flat against proof of stake now i'm not even going to do it proof of stake is bullshit and what you're getting is the fiat system all over again and if that's the way that you want to go that's your business but i'm not going to do it and i ain't going to read it because they're using shit like Tezos and Algorand in this part of the thing. Who's writing this? See what, uh, who doesn't get it? Tim Hakai does not understand. He is the author of this decrypt article, and Tim Hakai does not understand what's going on. He's trying to sell you a bag of Ethereum is what he's trying to do. He's using Bill Mayer's argument against Bitcoin itself without understanding that Bill Mayer's argument against Bitcoin falls completely flat. And his little trick about saying that, oh, well, it's not so bad according to this, this, and this. He needs to actually go read, you know, Nick Carter's, uh, Nick Carter stuff. Because Nick Carter pretty much has the definitive end of all these arguments. And it's getting really difficult to listen to these people anymore. I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, oh, this one. Thailand to introduce, get this, in-person KYC for crypto exchanges. Martin Young tells us about it from a coin telegraph financial regulators in Thailand are preparing to tighten restrictions surrounding the new account creation at crypto asset exchanges. According to a May 3rd report from Bangkok post, the country's anti-money laundering office or the AMLO announced that as of July, crypto exchanges must verify the identities of new customers in person using a quote dip chip machine. Hmm. While new users can currently verify their identities with crypto exchanges by submitting documents online, the dip chip machines will scan a chip embedded in the Thai citizen ID card requiring customers to be physically present for the verification process. The new rules may also prevent foreign investors who are unable to obtain Thai ID cards from accessing exchanges in the country. I guess we're getting rid of the kimchi uh, premium here. Uh, lawmakers also appear keen to apply the same regulations for gold sales worth more than 10,000 THB, their local currency, the, I guess the Thai bot, uh, which equals about $3,200 US. Some gold merchants located in the country's capital of Bangkok already use dip chip machines for identity verification. 
The tightening of regulations comes as crypto assets are surging in popularity in Thailand, with the number of accounts with Thai crypto exchanges spiking from 160,000 at the end of 2020 to nearly 700,000 at the start of May. Industry executives have expressed concerns that the new rules will stifle the growth of Thailand's crypto sector. Uh, Porami Insum, co-founder and director of Thai crypto exchange, exchange Sat. Ang Corp stated, quote, most digital asset exchanges are still busy preparing their systems to accommodate the growing number of clients as new account applications continue to flow in. However, this growth may be curbed if the application process becomes more complicated. The Thailand Digital Asset Operators Trade Association is planning to host a debate regarding the incoming regulations at an upcoming forum, enabling dialogue with regulatory agencies, including the Securities and Exchange Commission and AMLO. Bitcub, Thailand's second largest exchange, or sorry, Thailand's largest exchange, which was temporarily expended by the SEC in January, declined to comment on the new KYC requirements, stating that the new rules have not been officially implemented as of yet. In mid-March, the central bank outlawed the use of stablecoin pegged to the Thai bot. So they're gonna make you go down in person to get your shit, or at least to, to you know open an account. So, I mean, I guess we're done with, uh, I guess we're done with the, the whole pandemic. Uh, I guess we can all go back to the office now. Guess we can all go back and, and, and live life like we were, where we had to actually go get up and do shit. Anyway, this is bad for Thai, uh, for the uh, Thailanders. I just, you know, it's just going to get worse and worse. And governments around the world, you know, are, they're just becoming more authoritarian, more totalitarian. It's getting bad for citizenry across the world. And I fully expect well within my lifetime to watch a full, a full on hot, worldwide revolution where people die. Lots and lots of people are going to die. I think we're getting close to where the human, the human condition is just at its breaking point and governments just seem to be completely in, you know, not cluing in that they're not helping. They're actually making the reason that all this shit's going South in the first place. There will be a handful of governments that figure it out and they're going to end up collecting the best and the brightest from around the world. And it will be like four or five gulches where all the productive people flock to and the rest of the world ends up starving while they're cold, hungry, in the dark. Sorry, I know that's a really pessimistic shit thing to say on a Monday, but truth is truth, people. So Warren Buffett's right-hand man says the Bitcoin success is disgusting. And if you've ever actually taken a look at Charlie Munger's face, what's more disgusting? Let's find out. Ekin Jank from Decrypt is going to tell us about it. Charlie Munger, the half-dead zombie at 97 years old, American billionaire investor, hates Bitcoin and wants everyone to know it. Munger spoke yesterday at the annual shareholder meeting of Berkshire Hathaway, the conglomerate co-owned by his lifelong business partner, 90-year-old Warren Buffett. Those who know me well are just waving the red flag to the bull. Munger, who serves as Berkshire's vice chairman, said in response to a question about Bitcoin, of course, I hate the Bitcoin success and I don't welcome a currency that's so useful to kidnappers and extortionists and so forth, nor do I like just shuffling out a few extra billions and billions and billions of dollars to somebody who just invented a new financial product out of thin air. <sighs> So I think I should say modestly that I think the whole damn development is disgusting. 
and contrary to the interests of civilization. Yeah, like you got shit to say about it, old man. Munger's attack on Bitcoin riled up crypto Twitter. In a wave of ad hominem attacks, Munger was lambasted for everything from allegedly laundering billions of dollars to his relentless defense of his Coke drinking. But it wasn't anything so new from Munger, who in the past has also described Bitcoin as immoral and turds. Buffett, who previously called Bitcoin rat poison squared because he's just not that inventive, chose not to join in on Munger's anti-Bitcoin tirade. Quote, I'm going to dodge that question because we probably got hundreds of thousands of people watching that own Bitcoin and we probably have two people that are short. Oh, that's interesting. He said, wow, um, let's come back to that. Quote, so we've got a choice of making 400,000 people mad at us and unhappy or making two people happy, and that's just a dumb equation. Okay, I'm, I'm getting some feels here. This is odd. Buffett first received Bitcoin in February 2020 at a charity dinner with Justin Sun, chief scam officer of Tron. Sun had paid $4.6 million for the honor, but once a no-coiner, always a no-coiner, Buffett's Bitcoin gift from Sun doesn't appear to have changed his mind. And as for Munger, well, at least he called Bitcoin a success. Yeah, but Munger's... Okay, that's the end of the article, but dude, let's just read this in its entirety. I'm going to dodge that question because we probably got hundreds of thousands of people watching that own Bitcoin, and we probably have two people that are short. So we've got a choice of making 400,000 people mad at us and unhappy or making two people happy, and that's just a dumb equation. See, even Warren gets it. Even if he only gets it on a social level, he, he at least is understanding what retail actually means, while his buddy Munger apparently doesn't understand shit or is just refusing to come around. But what in those two or three sentences, what Warren just said makes me think that he's starting to get it. And God help everybody if he finally gets it and he does a 180, holy shit, watch out. Wow, we are well over an hour at 61 minutes, 17 seconds. So I am going to let you go with a reminder that if you want to help support the show, do the things, reach out, send me, you know, news stories that you want, send me daily train wrecks, you know, where people say really dumbass shit, give me a dad joke, like, subscribe, give me five-star reviews over on Apple iTunes and everywhere else that you listen to this thing that you can give reviews on a podcast for. Yeah, that helps. Also, Sphinx Chat and uh, most uh, most recently, the Breeze Wallet. Listen to uh, Go Get Breeze Wallet, load it up, listen to my podcast on the Breeze Wallet. You can find it there. It's easy. It's easy to find. You'll figure it out when you get the interface up. And you can stream me Satoshi's per minute of your listening pleasure. And you can set it down to as little as like, I think zero or three Satoshis, or you can go high, like a hundred Satoshis per minute. Don't set it high because I think I'm going to see dollar sat parity well within my lifetime. And I just wouldn't want you paying three, you know, 10 bucks or a hundred dollars a minute to listen to something, you know, 10 years, you know, prior. Anyway, if you do those things, that really helps me out. Uh, you know, and, and, and well, I guess with all that said, I have a happy Monday and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day. <laughs>